So uh, tonight we are going to talk about uh, a gospel-centered community. We're in Romans chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and we're going to, Lord willing, finish up the, the whole chapter. So last week we, we talked about, I shared a message uh, entitled Gospel Effects. And we talked about the gospel effects on somebody's life, on a life of those who hear it, those who believe it, those who receive it. Uh, we talked about how the gospel powerfully transforms lives who hear and believe the gospel and it leads us to live lives surrendered to God and set, set, set apart for Him and for His purposes. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing or acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship or this is your reasonable act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen? So that's what we talked about. We talked about how the gospel, Paul unpacks in Romans 1 through 11, he unpacks gospel truth, good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, he starts off, uh, verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. And then Paul goes into the bad news before he gets to the good news. Uh, how many of y'all know sometimes we need to hear the bad news before we get to the good news? When you go to the doctor before they give you your prescription and, and, and tell you, hey, I got something that's going to cure you, they first let you know that you got a disease that's going to kill you unless you take this medicine that's going to cure you, right? And so the Apostle Paul gives a diagnosis of humanity and explains that we've all sinned against the Holy God and we deserve punishment because of that sin. And yet the good news is, is that Christ came and he took death row for you and me. He stepped in our place. We deserve death. Yet Christ died for us. And now we get to experience the benefit of his payment for our sin. We get grace and mercy and, and inheritance and blessing and acceptance and love from God. We get to be with God for all eternity. That is good news. The Apostle Paul unpacks that for us in Romans at the end of chapter 3 and 4 and in the 5. He lets us know that all that comes through faith. We don't earn that. It's by grace, through faith, as we'll look at in Ephesians chapter 2 in a couple weeks. So it's, it's grace. It's the gospel of grace. And then in Romans chapter 12, after Paul unpacks gospel truth, he unpacks sanctification, uh, Romans 6, 7, and 8. A little bit, and then he goes into God's mercy and his dealing with Israel and God's sovereignty and his faithfulness to his promises and so on. And then he changes directions here. He changes the shift, which is, is what he often does, is he'll start with doctrine and then he'll go to our duty. He'll start with what we believe or what we should believe as Christians, and then he'll go to our behavior. See, the Apostle Paul knew that something needs to happen here and something needs to happen here if we're going to live out the gospel, right? We need to know it. We need to know what Christ has done. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, there's this mighty therefore. Therefore, my beloved brethren, based on all that God has done in Christ, that He's merciful and He's gracious, we're to give our lives fully to Him. And then Paul goes into 
what it looks like to live that out in community. So we're, we're launching community groups here in, in next week. And I want to ca- in this message, I want to cast vision for what, what these community groups are desired to look like. What we are to look like in our conduct with one another when we meet here together, but then when we meet in house to house and we live life and relationships together, I want to cast vision from Romans chapter 12 of what it looks like to be a gospel-centered community. What it looks like to have true spirituality. spirituality. What it looks like to have real Christianity. How many of y'all know that there's a lot of false Christianity out there? There's a lot of false spirituality out there. There's a lot of false gospels being preached out there. And we need the true gospel. We need to know it. We need to believe it. And then we need to walk it out. We need to live it out. And that's what we're going to dig into in Romans chapter 12, 3 through 21. How to walk this out. How to live it out. Amen? So if you all would stand with me in Romans and read with me Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3. Stand for the reading of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, it is up on the screen. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we... Though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peacefully with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap coals, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Alright, so here is where we are going tonight. That a, a community that is centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ will live distinctively different lives from the world because of the work that Christ has done in their lives. They will be increasingly marked by virtues such as humility, love, generosity, 
hospitality and many others. Amen? So that's where we're going. The gospel changes people's lives. As I shared last week, there was a gentleman at, at our Dallas campus, our downtown campus, named Glenn, who was radically changed by the gospel, was sleeping behind a 7-Eleven, strung out on drugs for years, came to Jesus, got on fire for God, started devouring the Word of God, reading it, memorizing it, digging into the Word. God blessed him with a wife and has two children now. He's a master plumber. He leads a men's recovery group over at the downtown campus on Thursday night. Now he's giving hope to others who need hope and recovery from addiction. Amen. We got others here who've experienced similar testimonies. We got Terry here who God delivered out of addiction herself. Me, myself, have been delivered out of addiction and so on. Uh, we got many people who experienced the powerful transformation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the first mark that we're going to look at tonight specifically is humility. A gospel-centered community is marked by humility. Now notice this in verse 3. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Notice this in verse 3, Paul says, he starts the exhortation with, by the grace given to me. By the grace given to me. Remember in verse 1 of chapter 12, he started his exhortation by, by the mercies of God. I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. When you consider how merciful God's been to you, now here he's saying, by the grace given to me, I say to each one of you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to. You see, the gospel humbles the best of saints. And the gospel of grace gives hope to the worst of sinners. It humbles the best of saints and it gives hope to the worst of sinners. Because the truth is we're all sinners in need of God's grace. I love how John Newton, the, the author of Amazing Grace, the hymn Amazing Grace that most of us know and love, he said this, he said, I know two things, that I'm a great sinner, but I have a great Savior. He knew that he had sinned greatly before God and deserved punishment because of his sin. But he had a great Savior. And when you and I recognize that we're saved by grace, that we're gifted, uniquely gifted and called by God by grace, it keeps us humble. It keeps us humble when God does awesome things through our lives and people get radically impacted through you and me, through things that we say or things that we do or our prayers, and God uses us. It keeps us humble to know that it was the grace of God working in our lives that brought about that effect on others. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15.10. He said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And God's grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more and more than the rest of the apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. You see, knowing who we are and knowing the grace of God, that, that our identity is rooted in the grace of God, that we're saved by grace, that we have these giftings of grace. Paul was an apostle by grace. Grace for apostleship was given to him. He already said this in this letter. Uh, he mentions this. The grace, the gospel of grace humbles the best of saints. So that's one of the keys to, to helping us live in humility. Pride and selfishness, 
destroys community, destroys relationships. Pride and selfishness just does damage to it. You know, if you've ever been around somebody who's proud and selfish, uh, you know that it's, it can be painful. And, and actually, maybe somebody may, may be thinking about you when I say that. Uh, <laughs> you know, we may be those pride and selfish ones. I know I have been. And, I've, and I've, I've hurt people in my pride and in my selfishness, not considering others. And the, the, the Bible teaches us to live humble lives. This is, by the way, this is Philippians chapter 2. This is the gospel effect on Christians who've been saved by grace. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Uh, but in lowliness of mind, uh, consider others better than yourself. Have, the mind, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in the form of man. He humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is our Lord and Savior's example for us. And Paul exhorts us to walk in that. Okay? When we look at how Jesus, the Son of God, who was highly exalted, He humbled Himself and came here to rescue us, He lived a life of humility. Jesus humbled Himself, and He humbled Himself all the way to the grave for us. And that's our example. You know, another thing that helps humble us and, and walk in humility is to recognize uh, what the Scripture says there in verse uh, 4 through 6. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. And we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. It helps us put on humility when we recognize that we're just one part of the body. We're not the whole body. Not, not, there's not one of us that has all the gifts, right? But we're a part of the body. There's this analogy here. One of the best analogies that I'm aware of that Paul uses of the church, we're the body of Christ. Christ is the head, and we're all different parts. Now, some, sometimes we may you know, look down on other parts of the body, but I'll tell you what, if, if you were missing your, your little toe, you may not think about your little toe very much, except you ladies when you go get your, your, your pedicure, right? Uh, you may not think about that little toe very much, but if it got chopped off, all of a sudden, you'd be thinking about your little toe a whole bunch, right? Or if you stubbed it and, you know, cut it, all of a sudden you're going to think about it. So every part matters. And it helps us to have humility, to put on humility, to walk in humility when we realize that we're a part. That look, look around you. These brothers and sisters around you are a part of the body of Christ. And we need each other. You see, God has designed us to have this legitimate need for one another as the body of Christ, as different parts of the body. We, there's this interdependence that's needed. So there's no, there's no place for lone star mentality in Christianity, okay? It's just me and Jesus, and, and I don't need the body of Christ. I don't need to go to church. There's no place for that in Christianity. You see, God's designed us to function and work together. So let not... Anyone think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but let him think with sober judgment. I think, by the way, this is a mark of, of maturity as well. When, when you can have an accurate, sober evaluation of yourself and see yourself in truth. By the way, I don't think it's humility to think more lowly of yourself than you ought to. You know, if God says something about you and you don't accept it, 
that's not humility. That's pride, actually. <laughs> you know it? If God says something about you, you say, no, God, really, I'm not that. Who are we to say that, right? If he says we're his children, we're forgiven, we're accepted, and so on, and the list, if we don't agree with God, that's pride. Okay? So humility comes from us seeing ourselves in truth as God does. Amen? I'm belaboring that point because I think I need to hear it, and I think we all need to hear it. So the next thing is this, is that a gospel-centered community is marked by service. So the Apostle Paul goes into spiritual gifts here. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ, differ from according to the grace given to us. There goes that grace again. That keeps us humble. The gifts that we have are gifts of grace. Everything you have is a gift from God. And, and you, God's gifted you uniquely. You have talents. But when, when you became a Christian, there, there's a spiritual gift, a deposit that God's placed in your life to be used to bless other people, to bless specifically the body of Christ, but, but bless other people. So according to the grace given to us, let us use them. You see, the, the Christian, a gospel-centered community, a community who's experienced the gospel and is living it out and living like Jesus and has been affected by the gospel, they serve with their spiritual gifts. They use what God's given them, their influence, their abilities, their gifts, to serve other people. Now, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, you know, Paul lists several gifts here. We have a spiritual gift test that we can get to you. I can email it to you. I can get you a hard copy. And you can go through and check off things that sound like you. And you can kind of get an idea of what your spiritual gift is. This is how I believe I discovered my spiritual gifts. I just started serving. I saw needs and I started serving. There was a children's ministry that went into uh, the, the projects there. And I saw a need to help. Uh, Cody Pope was driving a busload of kids from the projects, from Fraser Courts off of Dolphin Road. And I realized, man, this guy needs some help. I want to help out with these kids. And so I started going and I started helping out. Uh, I had a friend who was going into the juvenile detention center every Sunday night, Larry Tate. And uh, he'd go bring his guitar, a real crazy, funny guy who, whose life was, was transformed. He was in addiction. And, and those of you who know him know that he's a, he's a hoot. But... I started serving in the juvenile detention center. You see, God brought me out of a lot of mischief and criminal activity and, and thugging and all kinds of stuff like that. I was able for six years to go into the juvenile detention center off of I-30 in Hampton and preach the gospel to these young people wearing their pants down low, thugging and, and, and getting in trouble and hurting their mamas and daddies. And, and I was able to... to bring my guitar in there and play my guitar. And I tell you what, I wasn't very good. I knew just a few notes and I would just play and I would sing. And I tell you what, I wasn't a good preacher, uh, but I would just preach and I would just preach from Genesis to Revelation, whatever they would listen to. And I would just go at, I would just try to serve them and try to help them. And in the meantime, as I'm serving in various ways, I, when I came to Jesus, I came to Jesus at a church that had lots of opportunities to serve in a neighborhood that had lots of opportunities to serve. And I just started serving. And it became evident more and more that God had wired me with this evangelistic passion and zeal and gifting. You know, Romans 12, I, I think my, my primary gift there out of Romans 12 is, is exhortation. It became clear 
that God had wired me to be an exhorter, to speak words, to exhort others. And I just, I didn't just like get a pulpit right away, you know. But there were some, there were some folks that were captive in a juvenile detention center. Uh, <laughs> and, and I went there and I just preached the gospel to them. And you know what? There's people at gas stations and all over that if they would listen to me, I would tell them about Jesus. And I just did that. I just kept doing that everywhere I could, just telling people about Jesus. And my gifts became more and more evident to me. And others would, would call those out and affirm those things in my life. So I just encourage each one of you to, to, to serve. Just serve. Find places that, that have need and serve. So Paul lists all these gifts here. Prophecy. Uh, some of you may have the gift of prophecy. And God wants you to use that to speak prophetic words. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.3 says that he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Okay, prophecy. There's, there's exhortation. There's teaching. Pastor Mike, it's very evident that he, that's one of his gifts. And by the way, some of us can have, you know, more than one gift, but that's one that really stands out. Leading. Those who lead, lead with zeal. Contributing. Someone who gives they're to do so with generosity, acts of mercy. My wife, that's her spiritual gift, is, is showing compassion, having mercy towards folks. Did I leave one out? By the way, this is not an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. There's other lists in, in 1 Corinthians. One of the ways that Peter, in 1 Peter 4, breaks the gifts down is he breaks them down in the speaking gifts and the serving gifts. So he says, as each one has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. So if you have a speaking gift, make sure you're speaking God's words. God's saying, not just your own opinion to, to woo people and influence people, but speak the word. Preach the word. Speak what God says. He, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. If you have a serving gift... Okay, that's, that's maybe not the speaking gift, but it's more serving, just practical serving people. Then don't rely on your own strength in doing it. You see, God supplies strength for you to exercise those gifts. And what happens when you depend on his strength to use those gifts, it says in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. God gets the glory when you depend on his strength with your gifts. Okay, and... Other people experience good and blessing when you, when you use those gifts and you serve. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, the, the next thing is, is this, that a gospel-centered community is marked by authentic love. This is huge. We can't miss this. A gospel-centered community is marked by authentic love. Verse 9 says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Now, why didn't Paul just say, love one another? Just, just love. He said that, but why did, in verse 9, at the beginning, why does he say, let love be genuine? Why, why did he say that? I think we all know, as Christians, we're supposed to love, right? God is love. Jesus commanded us to love one another. It's just right. When we don't love people, we kind of feel guilty. We kind of feel bad, right? But I think there's a tendency for us who know we're supposed to love... To maybe just love in, in word or, or maybe in some kind of sentimental feeling kind of way, but not in action, not in sincerity. You see, we can be more committed to appearing that we love people 
then, then we are committed to really genuinely loving people. We can be more committed to appearing that we love people than to be genuinely, genuinely committed to loving people. And we call that hypocrisy, right? If we're more committed to appearing one way that we're not really, okay? And God wants us to deal with that. We can love genuinely. We can be authentic. And when we're not loving, we can acknowledge it and repent and, and turn away from it and ask God to change us. One of the things that Paul's already told us in Romans, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, is that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through faith, God has poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit the love of God. He has put His love in us, His love for us, and now we have this resource to give it out to those around us. So we don't have to have some kind of pretense of love. We can have real, genuine love, the same real, genuine love that we receive from God, and we can let it flow through our lives. Amen? It starts with us first receiving it and knowing it. Got Grabbed a couple pictures here that I thought reflected that well, Larry, and Adam there at the outreach. And here's this precious lady named Judy who came to our community fun day last Saturday. She brought her granddaughter... And her granddaughter, we were at the prize giveaway time, uh, we were giving away bikes, and she was really hoping for a bike. And she saw all the bikes go to other people, and she just started to cry, and she was so sad. And one of the, the adult ladies who had won a prize, a, a $50 Walmart gift card, saw her crying and knew what was going on, and she gave it to her. Gave it to the little girl. That's enough to buy one of those bikes. And then Judy, she was just like, she was just undone. Just at the very end, we were singing a worship song, so good, so, so good to me. And she was just in tears up front. And she told me what happened. And I was so blessed to hear that simple act of love and how it affected her and her granddaughter. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is real Christianity. This is gospel-centered community. This is true spirituality. And we're committed to this here. That's our vision here. Know Jesus, love people, impact your world. And I'm going to just drill that in. Y'all are going to hear that over and over. We got it real big right there so we don't forget it. Know Jesus, love people, impact your world. So the next mark is, is this. A gospel-centered community is marked by honor. Verse 12, uh, verse 10b says, outdo one another in showing honor. You know, some of us are really competitive, right? And that's okay. I think that's okay. I think you can have some unsanctified competition in you. But, but if you're going to be competitive in anything, let it be in this. Be competitive in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. So I grabbed this pic, and this is a picture of David Recordre, who's here in the front, and uh, Chris Phillips. And these two guys are really good at showing people honor. I mean, over and over, I've, I've, I've seen David do this with several folks, including myself. David helps contribute to a culture of honor within the body of Christ. Chris Phillips does this as well. And you get around these guys and you just feel that. And you, they, the things that they say and the way that they treat you and communicate, there's this culture of honor. And God takes honor really seriously. I mean, we're commanded here to outdo one another in showing honor. God's, he cares about us showing honor towards Him and showing honor towards one another. 
Uh, God says he honors those who honor him. Jesus in the Gospel of John says that those who follow Jesus, him my Father will honor. We're to give God honor and we're to give honor to one another. We're to call out the good that we see in other people and and how God's using them and rejoice with those who rejoice, right? So that's something we want to have here at City Church. And as we launch these home groups, these community groups, we want to have a culture of honor, respect for one another, valuing each other, honoring one another. The next mark is this, is uh, a gospel-centered community is marked by passion. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. So passion. Be fervent in spirit. Uh, We're told in 1 Thessalonians 5, I believe, verse 19, it says, don't quench the spirit. Don't quench the the, the zeal, the, the fervency of the spirit. You and I can quench the spirit. The Spirit, we, we need the Holy Spirit to set our hearts ablaze. Now, the gospel itself does this when we really believe it and we let it sink in. And the Holy Spirit takes truths of Scripture, gospel truths, and He sets our hearts ablaze. He leads us in the truth. He ignites our hearts. And I tell you, if, if we are a, a, a passionless people, a passionless church, and, and unbelievers walk in to our corporate setting, they are not going to be convinced that this whole Christianity thing is for real or worth following. But if they see a people who are truly zealous and on fire, who love one another, who are sold out, who are living out the gospel, it's going to be persuasive. They're going to be convinced. They're going to be wooed. They're going to, they're going to, even if they don't believe, they're going to say, you guys really do believe that stuff. I can tell you really do believe that. If, if they reject it, I want them to at least say that, that he really believes that stuff. Okay? I want my life to demonstrate that I believe this, this word. I'm building my life upon this world, word. So be fervent in spirit. We want to be on fire. It was John Wesley who said, uh, get on fire for God and people will come and watch you burn. How's that sound? Get on fire for God and people will come and watch you burn. I want to be on fire for God always. You know, when I first became a Christian, I got so on fire for God. All my sins were forgiven. I'm free. I'm delivered. I'm accepted. I'm loved. I got a spiritual family. God is my father. I got brothers and sisters. I know where I'm going when I die. I have hope. I have purpose. I have vision for life all of a sudden. And I was just on fire. And you know what? That was 17, 18 years ago. I'm still on fire for God. Because Jesus is my Lord. And I have His Spirit living inside of me. And I have a living hope inside of me. i got something to live for. Let's, let's burn for God. Let's let Him set our hearts ablaze for Him. And live out this gospel message. And lay down our lives in following Jesus. Don't let anything... Put your light out. Don't let anything quench your fire. And you certainly don't do it. Be on fire for God. This is a command. This is an imperative here. Do do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Now I'll tell you what. Zealous, fervent people can have a lot of influence. And if if it's not, they can hurt people. 
uh, if, they're not, if, they, if they have zeal without knowledge. Okay, Proverbs says zeal without knowledge is not good. Or love or consideration. So Paul puts all this together, you know. This is not just one thing. I've seen fiery preachers and fiery religious folks that were on fire, but they were hurting people, you know. The Holy Spirit teaches us to love. Amen? He gives us joy. He gives us peace. He gives us love for one another. So I got ten points here. We're on number six. A gospel-centered community is marked by generosity. Uh, Verse 13 says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. By the way, this this is the book of Acts. This is what we see in the book of Acts. When you look in Acts chapter 2, And that would be a great sermon for me to preach as we're preparing to launch small groups. They met from house to house. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were people of the word. And fellowship, they were committed to the relationship and the gathering together, the breaking of bread and prayers. They were a worshipful people, a people of prayer. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's the book of Acts. That's that's real Christianity. They had treasures in heaven, so they weren't holding on to these little earthly treasures down here, so they were just... Letting it go to, to one another. They were giving. They were distributing, contributing to the needs of the saints. In verse 46, And day by day they were attending the temple together, breaking in bread in their homes. There's home groups. So the temple, corporate, corporate worship here. And, and, and homes, of course, they had the meet in homes, which actually goes with our next point, that a gospel-centered community is marked by hospitality hospitality is a mark of a gospel-centered community. And this was huge in the first century. Actually, this was a requirement, a characteristic that an elder, a leader, a church leader had to have. They needed to be hospitable because the early church had to meet in homes. There was persecution, there was trouble. The, The elders had to have their home in order and they needed to be ready to receive and welcome people in their homes. And I love, by the way, I, I just want to brag on you. I got some pictures up here. I want to brag on you guys a little bit from last weekend. I was so pleased how the outreach came together and how everybody who came did their part. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful to see the body of Christ letting their light shine right here in this community. It, it just makes me feel so honored to be a part of a body who really takes this Jesus thing for real takes this gospel thing for real. This isn't just religion. This is a real relationship with the living God, with His Son, Jesus Christ. This is good news that we really believe. And so a gospel-centered community is marked by generosity. A gospel-centered community is marked by hospitality. When, when visitors come here, I want them, it's my desire that they feel so welcomed and so loved that they just get rushed with love when they walk up in here. That we're just, you know, we're, we're welcoming, we're greeting one another, that they just feel like everybody's just like, for real. Like they love them and they're for real. And that's my desire for home groups. As we meet in each other's homes starting next week, that, that there's that same sense that we're, we're, we're sharing our food, we're sharing our home and our AC 
with one another. Our, our space, we're letting folks get up in our space. You know, some of us got our space and we don't want folks to get in our space. That's, our, that's my chair, that's my TV, that's my uh, china, don't touch my china there, you know. Especially you got little kids, you know, it can get kind of wild in a community group. We have so much fun. We love community group. We miss it. We, we didn't meet throughout the summer. And uh, we're just excited about having a, a group to worship together, pray together, eat together, dig in the word together, confess sin together, repent together, serve together. We want every community group serving at least once a month, finding some outlet to serve so a gospel-centered community is marked by hospitality. We want to be hospitable. By the way, uh, Hebrews 12 says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers because some have done so, not realizing that they were entertaining angels, entertaining angels. And, and the way you treat strangers, I mean, th- that should motivate you, you know, just that there's angels watching, even more so that God's watching and that Jesus says, what you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. That should motivate us to be hospitable. The next thing is is this. A gospel-centered community is marked by empathy. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. By the way, Paul echoes the Sermon on the Mount here. Jesus is teaching in here. And and you'll see in this next point, just as, as he tells us how to relate to our enemies that you know, vengeance belongs to God and so on. Bless those who persecute you. I think, you know, of course, that's primarily going to be outside of the church, but sometimes that's even within church cultures. There's uh, persecution, unfortunately. But nevertheless, a gospel-centered community is marked by empathy. I love this verse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. When we see our brothers and sisters get their first house, have their first baby, get married, have their fourth baby on the way. Uh, I'm sorry, I was maybe not supposed to say that. And so on. We, we want to rejoice with one another. Rejoice in the successes. Not be jealous and not be like, oh, why didn't God bless me? We want a gospel-centered community is freed up to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and to weep with those who weep. To cry with our brothers and sisters when they're struggling, when they're going through pain, when there's loss. And you know what? I got a chance to, to, to walk this out this week. My, uh, my Aunt Sabrina um, died on Monday. Uh, she passed away. She was 58 years old in Mesquite. And I, Monday night, instead of going to play basketball, which I normally do, I went to my grandmother's house and found her there just weeping. And my Aunt Sabrina on the floor Purple, dead, gone, and she, we had, she had been there for a few hours, a couple hours before the medical examiners got there, and so I'm just there with my, with my grandmother, just, she's crying, she's, we prayed, police officers are there, you know, they're trying to be as respectful and empathetic as they, they can, but it was an opportunity for me to, to, to walk this out, weep with those who weep, death is a terrible thing. And we're all going to die. I got to preach her funeral yesterday. We had it in the small chapel here. And my mother did an amazing job in getting the family together uh, and folks driving in from various places. And we had a nice meal and it was a wonderful time. There were some different things shared and I was able to preach the gospel. But but just 
just kind of mourn with my family to go through that time together and just God is the God of all comfort. And He comforts us in our tribulation. Jesus is the great high priest who is tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. And so He can sympathize with our weakness. God, Jesus was moved with compassion when He saw those who were, who were like sheep without a shepherd. And so this, this empathy uh, that we're to have with one another in, in when there's loss, when there's tragedy, when there's suffering. But I'll tell you what, that we, we mourn not as those who don't have hope. We have hope. Amen? You know, at a funeral, you know, the Bible says it's better to go to a funeral than a party. Ecclesiastes 7.2. That's, and that was my sermon. It's better to go to funerals than the parties because we're all going to die and the living should take it to heart. That's the New Living Translation. We're all going to die. Ten out of ten people die, right? And the living should take it to heart. And so we should ponder, we should think about the reality that we're all going to die one day, but in our life's brief, and we want to make it count, and we want to love one another, like God says to, but we have hope. Christ has overcame the grave. He's conquered death for you and me, so we can grieve, and it's good, and it's healthy for us to mourn loss and tragedy and suffering, and grieve over it, be broken over it, but then we have hope. We, we can even rejoice in our sorrow. Paul says, we're sorrowful yet rejoicing. Amen? And so a gospel-centered community is marked by empathy. That's important that we, we feel with one another joys and successes, but also pain and sorrow. Another thing is that a gospel-centered community is marked by harmony. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, associate, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if, if possible, I love that Paul puts this in here, if possible, so far as depends on you, live peacefully with all people. I mean, some folks, uh, just, they ain't going to be peaceful with you, right? You, you, you can do your steps of obeying Jesus, and you go to them, you pray for them, you bless them, you do everything you can do to try to make amends. So if possible, <laughs> if it's possible to live peacefully with all people, do it. As much as you can, just make sure that if there's not peace and harmony in a relationship, it's not on you because you didn't make the effort, you didn't pray the prayers, you didn't give or, or, or try to bless them. Make sure it's not on you. All right. So as much as you can, live peacefully with all people. That's a gospel-centered community. That's what gospel-centered relationships look like. We have peace with God. We have peace with one another. And harmony, as a musician, I love harmony. I mean, we got to experience tonight the benefit of harmony with music and vocals, Amanda's voice and Kevin's voice and David's voice and the electric guitar and the drums and all that coming together to make something pleasing, to make a pleasing sound. That's called harmony. We enjoy it. And it's beautiful relationally when you got all the parts. Saturday for our community fun day, August 20th, we saw harmony. We, we saw all the parts coming together. We saw folks at the Good News tent, at the prayer tent, and snow cones from the stage doing music, bounce houses, balloons, and so on. I mean, we had all this stuff going on. The body of Christ functioning as a body, harmony together. And it's pleasing. It's beautiful. And it's winsome to the world. My tenth point, we are here. A gospel-centered community should be marked by compassion. Last thing is, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul's quoting, he's quoting Proverbs, uh, wisdom literature, and how to treat our enemies. If they're hungry, feed them. Show compassion to them. And you know what? God might convict their hearts if they've done you wrong. God might work. But you know what? If you do good, and Jesus taught us, love our enemies, pray for those who spitefully use you, do good, uh, bless those who curse you, and so on. This is echoing Jesus' teaching okay, in the Sermon on the Mount. We can overcome evil with good. That's a gospel-centered community. Don't be defeated by evil. Jesus overcame evil, our sin, and the principalities and the evil forces by going to the cross and to the grave and rising again. He overcame. He gave His life. He didn't strike back. He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Jesus overcame evil with good and were to do the same. Bless and do not curse. And you know what, church, we may have many opportunities before us in these next in this next season, these upcoming days, to overcome evil with good, to endure hardship and persecution. And Christians have survived and thrived in much and very difficult situations for hundreds of years, for thousands of years. And I think we can too. Okay, so I'm done with my 10 points now. Now it's time for application. So we are kicking off next week community groups, CCI groups. What are those? I'm glad you asked. CCI groups are uh, they're groups that exist to develop relationships in the body of Christ by which needs are met and spiritual growth occurs. They are the context in which we walk out the one another's of Scripture and exercise our spiritual gifts for the building up of the body of, of Christ. So that's what these groups are about. Okay, and all these one another's that we just looked at in Romans chapter 12, they're a great context to walk out these one another's. Spiritual needs are met in these groups. Um, one of the things I've said that these groups are, will be like are, are kind of like sprinkler systems. I could each Sunday try to water everybody with a water hose here and try to make sure you're spiritually covered. These small groups are designed for mutual care to occur within the, that context. So you got one another fo- following up with one another, praying for one another, calling each other, texting each other, meeting up outside of just Sunday or, or even um, the weekly meeting there. And then spiritual growth occurs in these groups. We want people to grow spiritually in these groups. We want people to exercise their gifts. If you're here on Sunday night and you're not able to use your spiritual gift because it doesn't seem like there's a place for you, Home groups are great places to step out and using those. And by the way, everybody can, everybody can share a word of encouragement with the person sitting next to you. Everybody can pray for somebody that's around you. Everybody can see a need around here and, and serve and do something, right? So anyways, just want to encourage us to do that. Everybody here has a spiritual gift, and I encourage you to use it. Father, thank you for this time. I thank you for the saints and the privilege of meeting together, the encouragement, and you say to even much more as we see the day approaching to exhort one another and meet together. And God, I pray that you would strengthen every person here, that you would 
help each person to know how they're gifted and to use those gifts to serve, to be who you've called them to be by grace, to know who they are by grace and to be that and live that out, to walk out the gospel. I pray that we would truly be a gospel-centered community, that this wouldn't just be a catchy phrase, that this would mark our lives, that this would mark our church, that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ would be the center, and that our lives would show that. And God, we can't live out these one another's without you working in and through us. And so we invite you to come. We surrender. We yield to you even now, God.